First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The Apostle Paul was appointed by our Lord to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. Therefore, it's fitting that he would provide the basic doctrines for the church age, and with that, the prophecy that we of the church age need to understand in order to respond properly to what in the world is going on in our world today. In Paul's epistles, we have a number of prophetic categories related to church age believers. Those categories include the intermediate state, the apostasy slash rapture, the day of the Lord, the revelation of the Antichrist, the judgment of believers, the second coming of Christ, the restoration of Israel, the last judgment, and the eternal state. These are the prophecies which enable us to understand what our response should be to today's current events, and they are the focus for our study. Between the beginning of the church age and the rapture of the church, there is an intermediate state provided for those who die before the resurrection. So before we look at the prophetic message concerning the rapture of the church, we need to understand where believers go when they die. Most Christians believe there is a heaven and a hell, and that when believers die, they go to heaven, and when unbelievers die, they go to hell. But that's not completely accurate. So before we investigate the prophecy concerning the rapture of the church, we need to look at what we have called the intermediate state, that state between the death and the resurrection of believers and unbelievers of the church age. Where do people go when they die? Well, that's a valid question and one that is explained in the Bible. Until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, men were in bondage to the fear of death. As a matter of fact, many believers are still in bondage to the fear of death. However, that bondage can be broken through the knowledge that God has given us in His divine Word. Hebrews chapter 2 beginning with verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus Christ became flesh and blood in order to die for the sins of mankind and through his death, to destroy him that had the power of death, which is the devil. 
as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the believer need not ever fear death, either his own or the death of someone he loves. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us that God causes all things to work together for good to the believer. He did not say that all things were good. However, he did promise to cause all things to work together for good. Therefore, the believer should never fear death, either his own or someone else's. There are seven kinds of death mentioned in the Bible. There is physical death. It's the separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. When the believer dies, the Holy Spirit takes the soul and the human spirit into the presence of God. The body returns to the dust from which it was taken. It becomes the seed for a new glorified body, which will be raised at the resurrection of believers, 2 Corinthians 5-7. Physical death should not be viewed as a tragedy for the believer. We need to understand the statement of Philippians 1-21, where Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Secondly, there is spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God during time on the earth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Romans 5.12 tells us that spiritual death is the result of sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Man is born spiritually dead and must be born again, according to John 3, 3 through 6. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. At the moment of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born of the Spirit and receive a human spirit. The unbeliever is dichotomous, body and soul. The believer is trichotomous, body, soul, and spirit, based on Hebrews 4, verse 12. Thus we are spiritually dead until our new birth, which occurs when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The third kind of death that is identified in the Bible is second death. Second death is separation from God in eternity. The souls of unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, according to Revelation 20, 12 through 15. Fourth, there is positional death. Positional death is the believer's identification with the death of Christ. As a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, we're placed into union with Him. And as a result of our positional death, the authority of the old sin nature has been taken away and we are able to have victory over our natural tendency to sin based on Romans 6, 1-14 through 14, 
Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and Colossians 3, verse 3. The fifth kind of death that is identified in the Bible is temporal death. Temporal death is a reference to the time that we spend out of fellowship as believers. This position in carnality is often called death in Romans 8.6, Romans 8.13, Ephesians 5.14, 1 Timothy 5.6, James 1.15, and Revelation 3.1. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father said, This my son was dead. All the time, the prodigal was away from the father. He was still a son, but a son out of fellowship. That parable is recorded in Luke 5, 11 through 32, and is an illustration of temporal death. When there is unconfessed sin in our life, we are separated from the benefits that are ours as children of God. The sixth type of death that is identified in the Bible is productive death. Productive death is a reference to non-productiveness of the believer at various times on the earth. When we are operating in the flesh instead of under the control of the Spirit, that which we produce is wood, hay, and stubble. When we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we have production of gold, silver, and precious stone. The seventh kind of death that is identified in the Bible is reproductive death. It's mentioned twice in Scripture. Romans chapter 4, 17 through 21, and then again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12. Both of those occurrences speak of the same situation concerning Abraham's natural inability to procreate due to his age. He was reproductively dead, yet was able to father a child due to the power of God. So it's the purpose of our study to examine the biblical principles which relate to the physical death of a believer. There's only one reason that God leaves the believer on the earth after his salvation. That reason is that we might serve as ambassadors for Christ. At the moment of our salvation, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore... You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's related to the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation is in heaven. Well, that word conversation, polutima, in the Greek means our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Every believer is given at salvation at least one spiritual gift, 1 Corinthians 12:11. His or her spiritual gifts determine the ministry he or she is to perform as an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:20 says, "Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ." An ambassador is one who represents the person of a king in the court of another. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we've been appointed as the representatives of that kingdom here on the earth. The only reason we're left in this world is to represent His kingdom 
with the specific gift or gifts that He has given us and to live out our designed ministry. The physical death of a believer is the ambassador's recall to the kingdom of which he is a citizen. His recall occurs either when he has completed his ministry or when he has refused to perform that ministry. Acts chapter 13 verse 25 speaks concerning John the Baptist. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we have comment concerning Paul. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And then in Second Timothy chapter 4, as Paul approached the end of his physical life, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. God has assigned each one of us a course, a ministry to perform. And when that work is finished, we're called home. We've already noted, however, there is a second reason for our recall. If we neglect or refuse to perform our ministry as Christ's ambassador, we may also be recalled. First John chapter 5 verses 16 and 17 speaks about the sin unto death. The death here in view is uh, our physical death. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. The word unrighteousness is translated from the Greek word adikia, and it refers to a life that does not conform to God's blueprint for that life. In some instances, that does not result in physical death. However, there is a quality of that that does result in physical death. The absence of the definite article, that is the word the, in the verse that we read, indicates that there's not one particular act which results in our premature physical death, but the quality of the non-conforming life to the plan that God has set out for that can result in premature physical death. Now let me throw in a word of caution here. God has assigned to each of us in eternity past the number of days that we are to live and God alone knows that original number. Job chapter 14 verse 5 says, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds, and he cannot pass. Apparently, the assignment of the number of days was in eternity past. However, we can lengthen or shorten them, by obeying the command to honor our fathers and our mothers, we can lengthen our days according to Exodus 20 verse 12. By refusing 
or ignoring our ministry as an ambassador, we can shorten our days according to 1 John 5, 16 and 17. God's principles related to the fear of death certainly need to be understood by the believer today. God in His grace has made provision for dealing with the fear of death. Some of the provisions relate to the fear of our own death, while other provisions relate to the fear of the death of our loved ones. In Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, King David speaks about the fear of death related to those we love. He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will hear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, the first thing we need to note concerning this verse is that the reference is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist is not speaking of his own death. That would be the valley of death. The word shadow used here indicates this is the death of a loved one that touches your life. Those times when the shadow of death falls upon us. King David had experienced that many times and he would continue to experience it even after the writing of this great psalm. The psalmist had developed enough Bible doctrine, however, so that the shadow of death no longer brought the fear of evil. The Hebrew word for fear used in this text is Yarah, and it means a reverential awe to revere or reverence something. The Hebrew word for evil is Ra. It refers to distress or grief. How could the psalmist, with his understanding of death, have any revere for distress or grief as a result of a loved one's death? They had simply gone home. He one day would join them. Remember the morning of David when the life of the illegitimate child conceived by Bathsheba hung in a thread? Yet when the child was dead... There was no need to mourn because he could not bring him back. But he would someday join him in glory. The morning before the child died was uh, over the, excuse me, the morning uh, before the child died was before because of the sin which resulted in the untimely death of the child. It was sin David mourned over. It was not his revere for distress or grief that brought about the death. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need hold no revere or distress for grief caused by death. The psalmist declared, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod is a reference to the good shepherd's discipline upon unruly sheep. The staff is a reference to the guidance and protection provided by the shepherd. Oftentimes, death's shadow falls upon our lives as a means of discipline or guidance to ourselves. Therefore, we find comfort even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The death of a loved one is not to be feared if that loved one has professed faith in Jesus Christ. At the moment of faith, he was entered into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, and as a result of his physical death, he has simply gone home. 
No man dies unto himself. The death of each person affects others. God in his great wisdom wherewith he loved us has designed the shadow of death to be a source of discipline or guidance in the life of each person that's touched by that shadow. Therefore, we are not to revere distress or grief, but to find comfort from God's correction and His direction. There's no place in the Christian life for fear concerning the death of a loved one who is a believer. He has simply gone home. Home to the very presence of God. No matter what kind of life the believer has lived, when it comes time to die, he's a child of God, and his recall is processed in God's own perfect way. A great mistake often made is that God is punishing the believer who is being recalled because of neglecting his assigned ministry. In our studies of divine discipline, we have seen that God never punishes the believer. But let me remind you of the basic principles again. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now the King James text adds the phrase, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But that phrase was added to the original manuscripts at a later time. It does not appear in any manuscripts before the 10th century. The best manuscripts simply say, There is therefore... Now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ paid for all our sin. Each sin we commit after our salvation is charged to the account of Jesus Christ and is never charged to us. Romans 4.8 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remain in, remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. <clears throat> no, God does not punish any believer ever. He does discipline the believer. Now, the distinction between punishment and discipline is one of purpose. In punishment, the motive is to exact a penalty for an action. In discipline, the motive is to modify the behavior of the believer to bring him into a line of conduct which will be more profitable for him. The method of affliction may be the same in punishment and in discipline, but the motive is the difference. Job wrote, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. For he maketh sore the binding up, he woundeth, and his hands make whole. He shall deliver their, them in six troubles. They in seven shall no evil touch thee. In famine he shall redeem thee from death, and in war from the power of the sword. Thou shalt be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. Job five seventeen through 21 Therefore, as the believer who has neglected his assigned ministry and has not maintained fellowship with God is recalled, we must remember 
<clears throat> that that death is not a means of punishment. Neither is it likely designed as discipline for them. Discipline only relates to the believer's time here on earth. But it can be discipline designed for those upon whose life the shadow of death may fall. God's grace provision is often evidenced in the life of the believer just before his death. Many times the ambassador does his greatest work from his deathbed. The second area in which the fear of death has been destroyed relates to our own personal death. It's worthy of note that fear of death indicates the believer's ignorance of God's grace provision and cannot be blamed on the failure of God to provide peace. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The believer who knows and trusts God's word concerning death has no fear of death. Rather, he sees death as a welcome servant, taking him back to his home, to the land of his citizenship. Remember, Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Job chapter 5 verse 21 and down through 27 says, Neither shall thou be afraid of destruction when it cometh. At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh, neither shalt thou be afraid of the beasts of the earth, for thou shalt be in league with the stones of the field, and the beast of the field shall be at peace with thee. <clears throat> and thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace, and thou shalt visit thy habitation, and shalt not sin. Thou shalt know also that thy seed shall be great, and the offspring as the grass of the earth. Then shall come to thy grave in a full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in her season. Lo this, we have searched it, and so it is. Hear it, and know, for it is for thy good. The phrase, Neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it cometh, refers to physical death. There's no need to be afraid of physical death because through God's grace we have nothing to fear. In verse 22 of Job's passage, the word destruction and the word famine are identified as two specific times when we're helpless and yet we're able to laugh during those times because of the provision of assurance of God's grace. Now the word laugh is not a humorous laugh or a hysterical laugh. It's based on the Hebrew word shalkak, and it means a completely relaxed laugh that expresses inner peace and joy. At the time of the writing of the book of Job, wild animals roamed the earth and were often the cause for terror and death to men. So the phrase concerning the wild beast indicate that we're not to be afraid of anything which might cause terror or death. We don't have to fear anything like that. Now, as I mentioned, this is not a reckless laugh, but a relaxed laugh because it's based on our understanding, our orientation to the grace of God. In salvation, we receive 
God's grace. G-R-A-C-E. We receive God's righteousness at Christ's expense. In living the Christian way of life, we receive more grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's resources at Christ's expense. In dying, we receive God's grace again. G-R-A-C-E. God's realm at Christ's expense. In verse 23 of this passage in Job, the phrase, For thou shalt be in league with the stones of the field, and the beast of the field shall be at peace with thee, simply means that dangerous things in life are to hold no fear for us. Of course, it does not condone reckless living. We're to be good stewards of our lives. But it promotes peace and relaxation concerning dangerous things. When God is ready, nothing will prevent us from going. Until God is ready, nothing can send us prematurely. In verse 24, as Job wrote, the word tabernacle is a reference to one's physical body. Your body is a tabernacle. That word means temporary dwelling. came to denote a tent. At the rapture, each believer will receive a new and permanent body that's fashioned after the resurrection body of Christ. And therefore, we need not fear what happens to this body. When physical death occurs, we simply go to our habitation, that is, our real home. In verse 25, as Job continued, we are informed that even when we are gone, things will go on here on the earth right along as though we did not disappear. People will go right on living, completing their assigned ministries or neglecting them, and each person will be recalled at his or her proper time. It's important for us to understand that God takes the believer at the right time. Oh, I know, it may not seem to be the right time as far as we're concerned, but remember, God's time is not man's time. Neither his thoughts or ways the thoughts or ways of man. God fits our death into the entire scheme of all of creation. Verse 26 says, Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age. Like a shock of corn cometh in his season. Now the point here emphasized in this passage is not that we'll live to an old age. He didn't say, Thou will come to thy grave in an old age. He says, Thou will come to thy grave in a full age. And the illustration that he uses is a shock of corn, which does not have a long life, but reaches maturity. As the ears ripen and they become full, they're picked. The analogy then here is that when you come to die as a believer, your time, young or old, is full. You have finished your course, you have lived out your design, or, on the other hand, you have rejected it, and there's no reason to leave you here. God does not measure life in terms of years, but in terms of our appointed ministry as ambassadors. Verse 27 informs us, that these doctrinal facts concerning death have been studied to the proper conclusion and we need to hear it and know it for our own good. 
The word good is translated from the Hebrew word tub, which means for your best interest. In 1 Corinthians 15.55, Paul wrote, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death and the victory of the grave have been destroyed by Jesus Christ. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 15.57 declares, But thanks be to God who giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus has provided victory over death and the grave. What happens to the believer then upon physical death? Well, we've already seen that the physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. At physical death, the soul and the spirit of the believer move out of the body and into the presence of the Lord. We go face to face with the Lord. Look at Second Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we will not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Now he that wrought us for the self-same thing, is God, who has also given us the earnest of His Spirit. That word earnest means deposit, down payment. Therefore, we're always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The word present in verse 8 is translated from the Greek word pros, and it's used with the accusative case. Therefore, it should be translated by our idiom, face to face with the Lord. When we leave this physical body, we are with the Lord face to face. John says in chapter 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. John records those words of our Lord to strengthen us in our hope and our walk. God has provided a dwelling place for the soul and the spirit of man. Jesus has gone into heaven to prepare a special place for each believer. It is our eternal home. And after this heaven, this earth atmosphere, and this earth pass away, God will create a new heaven, that is a new atmosphere, and a new earth, based on Revelation 20, verse 11 and 21, verse 1. The place that Jesus has prepared for us is identified as New Jerusalem. It will come down out of heaven, the very throne room of God, and will be suspended above the earth according to Revelation 21. 
That will be our headquarters throughout all eternity as we reign with Christ over this new earth. There is then for us no judgment after death. The born-again believer will never face judgment in eternity. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. However, in Romans 8.1 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment literally, to them which are in Christ Jesus. The judgment after death is eliminated for the believer because of his position of unity with Christ. Christ has already been judged for all our sins, past, present, and future. We have appropriated His grace by accepting the provision that He made for us. The judgment seat of Christ is not a time of judgment negatively for the believer. It's an evaluation of our works. A careful study of 1 Corinthians 3:11 through 16 will reveal the judgment is upon the believer's production, whether it's gold, silver, and precious stone, or whether it is wood, hay, or stubble, and not upon the believer himself. The gold, silver, and precious stones are carried into eternity, while the wood, hay, and stubble perish on the way. There will be no old sin nature in eternity. The Bible teaches that we are born with an old sin nature. That is a natural tendency to sin. The old nature has an area of strength from which human good is produced. It has an area of weakness from which evil is produced. It has a trend either toward do-goodism or toward immorality. It has a lust pattern such as ego, materialism, or moral issues. We inherited this old nation, uh, old nature from Adam and it's passed on to the male in the human conception. David says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Reading that through as a nine-year-old for the first time, I went to the pastor and I asked him what sin David's mother was involved in. I knew the sin of David and Bathsheba, it was recorded, but nothing about his mother. He helped me to understand that it's literally with a sin nature did my mother conceive me. The Hebrew text declares, with a sin nature did my mother conceive me. At salvation, the authority of the old nature was broken. But it's upon physical death that we're actually freed forever from his influence. According to Romans 7, 24, 25 with Philippians 3, 21 and 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 58. There is no sorrow in eternity. Revelation 21, 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, neither crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. I will point that out to you in our further studies. We're going to see that 
that is in the new heaven and the new earth in eternity itself. There, that does not cover the millennial kingdom of a thousand years. We'll address that more fully later on. The fullness of our inheritance is documented for us in Scripture. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. For we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance includes everything promised us by the word of God for our eternal future. We're heirs of God and joint heirs together with Christ. We will share the inheritance of the sons of God. Death is simply the doorway through which we enter into eternity. As a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given eternal life. However, during this life, we're still bound to this body of flesh and blood with the influence of the old sin nature and the sorrows and the pains of this world. But when we experience physical death, we step free from all of that and move into all that God has designed for us as eternal sons of God. Physical death, therefore, is not to be feared by the believer, but looked forward to with joy and anticipation, for it is the door to eternity and the peace and the joy of God. In Philippians chapter 1, 21-24, Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For as I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. In this passage, Paul makes clear the fact that the only reason the believer is left on the earth after salvation is to complete his assigned ministry as an ambassador for Christ. When that ministry is completed, we are recalled. However, when that ministry is neglected, we are also subject to recall. Either way, we need to rejoice that Jesus Christ has destroyed the one who has the power of death, therefore we are set free from the fear of death. Remember the words in Hebrews two fourteen and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Perhaps a brief word concerning the death of unbelievers. John three, sixteen through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him 
might be saved. He that believeth not on him is not, excuse me, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's only one thing that keeps a person out of the provisions of God's amazing grace that we have talked about in this study. And that one thing is the refusal to accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior. As a result of his rejection of Christ as Savior, he will have to stand at the great white throne judgment. That's recorded for us in Revelation 20, beginning at verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, only used in reference of unbelievers, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things that were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus Christ died as the substitute for every man, woman, boy, or girl that will ever live upon the face of the earth. He is the only means of salvation. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Those who reject Him as Savior must stand before the great white throne and be judged according to the works that they have done. No one will be approved at the great white throne based on their own works and goodness. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every unbeliever at the great white throne will fail to measure up to that requirement. And then God will reach over and pick up the Lamb's book of life. It contains the names of all believers. He'll check it to see if their name is there. However, coming to the place where it had been written before the foundation of the world, he will find that it has been blotted out as a result of their rejection of Christ. It's called the book of life, the book of the living, the Lamb's book of life. As we study and harmonize scripture, it was written in eternity past. The names were written in before the foundation of the earth. And the only way to truly understand all of that is to get into the grammar in which it is given to us because the word written is used in the perfect tense, meaning a completed action in past time 
with the result that it continues to be written forever. When he speaks concerning those who take the mark of the beast, he identifies that their names were not written in before the foundation of the earth. And so some have misunderstood that by not understanding the grammar. The grammar says they were not written in in such a manner that they remain written, but they are blotted out if they come to the end of their life and they have rejected the only means of salvation that we have. There is no hope outside of Christ. Only fearful anticipation of death and judgment. There is no need for fear of death to those that are in Christ. Only the anticipation of joy and peace for eternity. But of course it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to understand with the songwriter, this world is not my home. We're just passing through. God bless.